0: Yes. 5, four, three, two,
1: one. Welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagAndBanner.com. Through storytelling and conversational interviews, this weekly radio show and podcast offers listeners an insider's view into starting and running a business, the ups and downs of risk-taking, and the commonalities of successful people. Connect with Carrie through her candid, often funny, and always informative weekly blog. There, you'll read, learn, and may comment about her life as a 21st century wife, mother, daughter, and entrepreneur. And now it's time for Carrie to get all up in your business.
0: Thank you, Sun Gray. Mm -hmm. Before we start, I want to let you know, if you miss any part of today's show or want to hear it again or share it, there's a way, and Gray will tell you how.
1: Listen to all UIYB past and present interviews by going to flagandbanner.com and clicking on Radio Show. Or subscribe to our podcasts wherever you like to listen by searching Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. To receive timely notifications of upcoming guests, you may simply like Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy on Facebook.
0: My guest today is a worldly woman, like I said a minute ago. Sophia Saeed was born a liberal Muslim in Pakistan. She met her husband, Kaim Saeed, the night before their arranged marriage. Three months later, she joined her new husband in Utah, where he was studying to receive his doctorate. In Pakistan, Sophia and her father, both Muslims, were excited that Sophia had been accepted to a prestigious Catholic college there. Now in Utah, she found herself living amongst and attending college with Mormons. The cultural commonalities were striking, and her view of the world grew larger. When she first moved to America in 1996, it was an easy transition, a safe place for Muslims. But since 9-11, things have changed, and so has she. Having once been taught that women should be quiet and invisible, Sophia has decided to step into the limelight, not for herself, but for her children and for her community. After moving to Little Rock so that she could follow her husband who got a job teaching at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences, Sophia attended and graduated from yet another school, the Clinton School of Public Service. In 2012, she became an American citizen. Today, as the executive director at the Interfaith Center located at St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, this Muslim woman is spreading the word and reminding us to love thy neighbor, a common theme across all religions. It is a pleasure to welcome to the table the Arkansas Humanitarian of the Year, Ms. Sophia Saeed.
2: Thank you so much, Terry. That is a very generous bio. That's not even
0: all of it but that was condensed. Mm-hmm. Um, you were the valedictorian of your class, first Muslim woman to ever give the speech. That's true. Uh, graduated Kuma sumlaut. But today, when you say you work at the Interfaith Center as the executive director, what does that mean? And
2: what do they do? So interestingly, Interfaith Center is actually a product of um, several people working together to promote peace in our community. What we do is we try to reduce the fear that exists between different religions, the prejudice that people of different faiths feel towards each other. And as you know, I don't need to tell you that it's increasing because of the current social and political environment. So what we do is we try to bring people of different faiths together under one roof, normally where they wouldn't find themselves, uh, help them connect with each other, learn about each other's faiths, Uh, learn how to respect each other's differences as well as the commonalities and build relationships with each other. Because after all, we're all living in a nation which is highly diverse, not only racially, but also ethnically, religiously. And if we don't know how to live with each other, like if we don't know how to uh, have interfaith cooperation, then we cannot work effectively with each other. So it increases our own uh, productivity It increases our impact on the communities to learn how to coexist. And that's what Interfaith Center does. And then I have lots of different kinds of programs, which I would love to share more. We're going to talk about them all.
0: Let's start at the beginning. You were born in Pakistan. Did I say it right? Because you know I'm Southern. I say Pakistan. And it's not Pakistan, (laughs) y'all. It's Pakistan. And uh, you call yourself a liberal Muslim.
2: I'm a Muslim, yes, I, Yes, people call me liberal Muslim.
0: Mm-hmm. Your father taught you to drive?
2: Yes, my father taught me to drive, he's very proud of me.
0: And you were uh, very good in school and thought because your father was pretty liberal that you would follow, like Europe, follow in um, the footsteps of other family members and go to America to get educated. But he kind of planned something
2: different. <laughs> Yes, I saw. So that's where the gender uh, roles differed in our family and in most of the families. Like I did see all my uncles and many male members of the family coming to U.S. for their higher education. So I aspired to do the same. But um, back then, at least, it was only male members of the family, not females, not girls or women. But you did go to college. I did go to college in Pakistan. But only the
0: males got to come to America to get yes. educated. Yes. And you thought yes. that would happen to you. But instead, your father did what? Instead, he
2: Arrange- got me married. Arrange- he arranged
0: my marriage. That is fascinating <laughs> to me. Some Americans cannot understand the idea of an arranged marriage.
2: Really? Well, that's that's the foundation of our society. Back, one of the foundations of the society. It's a very common phenomenon. I know. T- yeah. Tell us about
0: how it happened and how it came to be and why you like it, why it's acceptable. I've had other friends who've had arranged marriages and I've heard what they've had to say about it. Uh, I think our listeners would love to hear what how it happened. And so you
2: see, marriage is not a union of just two people. It's, it's coming together of two families who are going to be interacting a lot with each other and raising the next generation of kids together. So it's important that families get along as well. So the way it Happened in my case, which is true for many, many, many Pakistanis, if not mo- most, is that uh, my family started looking for a suitable groom for me, and they searched like all the other fam- many other families are searching too. Uh, in uh, and they were looking for a family which is similar to their own background, and a family which has to offer what I wanted. They knew what their daughter wanted. They knew my personality. They knew what my goals and aspirations in life are. So they were looking for a groom who is able to fulfill what I was looking for. I wanted somebody who's highly educated, who would respect a strong and independent woman, who would let me study after my marriage, and who's going to the United States because I wanted to pursue higher education in United States. So lots of proposals would come and me and my parents would discuss them together things that would work for them or things they would reject and things that I would reject. But eventually and very soon we found this proposal which we all agreed upon because it has to offer the things that we both were looking for, me and my parents. So I said yes and uh, my husband was in uh, England at that time. He was doing his masters. So I never got to meet with him or visit with him. Um, He came uh, to Pakistan a couple of days before we got married so, yeah, but we're still married, heavily married, actually, and um, it works great.
0: Did they ask him what he wanted, and he said, I want all the, all the same things I guess you just mentioned?
2: I am sure his family was looking for what their son likes in a girl and the things that he hopes for in a girl, and that's why the whole... Institution of arranged marriage works because, you know, it's not based on love because you can fall in and out of love. It's based on personalities. It's based on a level of commitment and responsibility. And when you make that commitment towards each other, the bride and the groom and the families, then you you do your best to uh, work hard in it and uh, make it a success.
0: And who wants things better for you to be the best they can be than your parents? And who
2: knows you better than anybody else than your parents? That's true. And their experience in the institution of marriage as well. I mean, I did not know before getting married that what are the things which will become issues after 5, six, ten years of marriage, you know, dishwashing or laundry. We don't even think about those things. When we think about marriage, we think about love. But when parents are thinking, they're putting thinking about all the practical things as well. So... Yeah, and plus it's a joint decision. I mean, people have this misconception that arranged marriage means your parents are going to pick somebody for you and get you off to marry. It's not like that. I mean, you know, educated families, they talk to each other and uh, they decide together. How do
0: they correspond with each other? Through emails and pictures back and forth? I mean, how did the family, the parents? I assume. Oh, the parents. It? I thought. Yes. How did the parents arrange it?
2: They met, so we are distant, distant family relatives. So they met with each other several times, and they communicated with each other through common um, relatives. And
0: then they go so visit each other. Then they visited and then, each
2: other. They visited me. Did, uh, did
0: you meet your husband's um, mother and father before you met? and
2: ancestors and and aunt. all of yes. them before you met your husband. <laughs> yes
0: yes i'm sorry <laughs> americans but i i would love to pick all of my children's um <laughs> uh, life mates and oh, and, 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 when, <laughs> <laughs> right, and when i look back on it i think maybe my parents could have picked a good one for me also because you know who wants better for you than them that's a, that's fascinating. So I have to ask. I know I know your religion and is modest and stuff, but you talk about the love. I mean, you've got to be scared. You've never met this guy before. Do you consummate on the first day you met? I mean, that seems kind of that'd be kind of weird.
2: Well, it depends. Mostly the, the difference between love marriage and arranged marriage is that in arranged marriage you fall in love after you get married. So you start getting to know each other, you start, the whole process of courtship happens after you get married.
0: That makes me feel a lot better, because I always worry about these young girls. So okay, you don't just have to go home and the guy goes, all right, take your clothes off, you're married now. That would make, that makes me really uncomfortable, but it's not that way, It's, it's the beginning of a courtship.
2: It's the beginning of a beautiful relationship, yes, that's true. And in my case it was different because we were living in two different continents. But nowadays, like, you know, my daughter is turning 20 and I was with her yesterday and I'm also always asking her, so shall I start looking for proposals for you? Shall I start sending boys your way? <laughs> so they do have a chance to get to know each other even before they get married. It's just that the family is helping you find the right is she gonna boy you? and the fi- right family. Well, she was born in America, right? Yeah, but. Uh, is, she gonna, is she okay with that? As of now, yes. I mean, Love you know, it. it's easier to find, uh, meet with people when your family is helping you connect with so many people out there. More resources to find the right guy. Love it. How old's your daughter? Twenty. How old
0: were you when you got married?
2: Twenty-one.
0: Time's growing short for her. <laughs> when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Miss Sophia Said, economist muslim community activist educator and executive director at the interfaith center located at st margaret's episcopal church in little rock arkansas who is working to reduce fear and hatred among world religions we'll be back right after the break
3: Friends of Dreamland are proud to sponsor Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy. Dreamland Ballroom, located on the third floor of the Flag and Banner.com building in the historic Taborian Hall, is a nonprofit dedicated to bringing back the music, the history, and the party of the Dreamland Ballroom. Our annual fundraiser, Dancing into Dreamland, will be a tournament of past champions to celebrate the 10th year. Mark Friday, November 15th at 7 p.m. on your calendar. The night will include a dance competition where audience members text their votes for their favorite acts, a silent auction, free hors d'oeuvres, cash bar, and your opportunity to experience the magic and imagine the music of the legends that played on the Dreamland stage, like Ella Fitzgerald, Ray Charles, Louis Armstrong, and many more. Tickets available at dreamlandballroom.org for the 10th annual Dancing into Dreamland. Be a part of the history of Dreamland.
0: Before the break... We've been talking with uh, Ms. Sophia Saeed uh, and you're listening right now to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy. Uh, this is a worldly woman. She has a BA in economics. She is a graduate of the Clinton Public School of Service, which which you get a master's degree in public service, I think. Yes, ma'am. Uh, she is a Pakistani and an American citizen. She is a practicing Muslim and is the current executive director at the Interfaith Center located at Saint Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, who is working, like I said before, to reduce fear and hatred among world religions, which we need so much now. Uh, in 2015. She was the Arkansas Humanitarian of the Year, along with other awards she's received. Uh, before the break, we talked about uh, arranged marriages. If you are just tuning in, you have got to go and listen to her tell the story of why it is a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love your explanation of it. I think it dispels a lot of wrong ideas people have about it. Um, but now you're married. Your family and you have chosen a man that is going to be educated in America. That was important to you because you wanted to come to America to get educated. So you've moved, of all places, to Utah, and you're going to school, getting a degree, I believe, in economics at, this, at the uh, University of Utah, or U- University State, what's it called?
2: University of Utah. University definitely. of Utah. Yeah.
0: Can you tell us about that, how, how, what it was like when you first got there?
2: When I first got there, actually it was um, a little bit of culture shock, but not too much because Salt Lake City is heavily um, LDS population, Mormon population, and their um, cultural values and family values are very similar to Muslims, the way they dress. There is not uh, much alcohol consumption. Um, They have a lot of children. So for example, we were living in the student housing for University of Utah and most of the married students were there and every family had two, three, four, five kids. Most of the women were staying home, taking care of the children like me, which was pretty unusual. You don't see that in many other states, but Utah has a different culture because uh, people have uh, more children and women do give uh, initial few years to kids more than, as compared to other states. So I loved uh, being there. It was an easy transition to America Starting from Utah, and then when my husband graduated from his PhD, then I decided to start school, which I always wanted to do. So I did my bachelor's from University of Utah, and that was a very um, that was a very good experience for me. I always it was like a dream come true for me.
0: You moved there in 1996. Your husband, uh, I guess you it sounds like from what you just said, you became pregnant, started having your
2: children. While he was getting his Ph.D., and when he graduated, you had children? When he graduated, I had both my children, my son and my daughter, and they both were in elementary school. So that's when I started my school. I would put them in the school bus in the morning, send them off, then go for my own classes. And you got a degree in uh, economics. I got a B.Sc. in economics, yes.
0: And uh, you graduated summa cum laude.
2: That's true. Yep.
0: And... You ended up getting to give the commencement speech.
2: That was a huge honor and credit for me. Yes, I'm very proud of that.
0: So, when your husband decides to take another job in Little Rock, well, I guess while you were there, nine eleven happened, didn't it? Yeah, while you were in Utah, nine yes, right. eleven happened. Yes. How did that change your life?
2: Well, actually, nine eleven changed the lives of most of the Muslims, not me, if not everybody. And in many different ways, the way we live, the the way we perceive the world and the way world perceives us, everything changed. One of the big changes, I'll tell you that I never covered myself before 9-11. I started wearing my headscarf and my hijab after 9-11. Well, that was a time when a lot of Muslim women were taking off their scarves because they were being persecuted for wearing the headscarf. but. Um, For me, it was really important to embrace uh, my religion and my identity at that time. So I decided to visibly look like a Muslim. And I also thought it's our responsibility as Muslims to educate people around us about what our faith is, what are the true teachings of Islam. So I started a lot of uh, education or public speaking in local churches to tell people about Islam. I started teaching uh, children at the local mosque because I also felt it's really important for our own children, Muslim children, to know the true teachings of Islam so they do not get uh, brainwashed or influenced by what extremists are doing, which is not Islam. So I think um, for the first time after 9-11, I started thinking about myself, who am I? What is my religion? Why am I Muslim? What Islam teaches me? So it was a journey of self-discovery, self-reflection. And as I learned about my own faith, In a more intentional way, I started also spreading that awareness to the people around me. And yes, it changed everything, Um, especially when you have children who are going to school and uh, who look brown, who are immigrants. I mean, you know, you are facing issues day in and day out.
0: So as a rebellious streak in you, you decided to start wearing your hijab. Yes, that's true. That's kind of like you said, the opposite Mm -hmm. of what everybody else did.
2: I remember I used to teach in the Sunday school at mosque. And when I was going, uh, my husband said, "Uh, please don't uh, cover your head. And I normally never used to. I would only cover it on Sundays before going to mosque. And that Sunday I said, no, I will cover my head. And I remember when I was driving to the mosque and when we were stopped on the red light, the car next to me, the person rolled his window down and he yelled at me to go home and I don't belong here. But I think the more hatred and fear I saw in people's eyes for Muslims, the more resolved um, I was, the more determined I become to embrace my identity and tell them that, no, that is not right. You have to know the real Muslims. So, yes, that was the rebellious streak. And then it stayed with me. I mean, you know, it's been years now that I've been wearing that scarf.
0: You know that you could say the same about the extreme Christians, that bomb abortion clinics, and blow up government buildings in the name of, of, of Christianity. It's the extremist that if you were an outsider looking in, you might could say that about Christians if you, were not, if you didn't know that that's not their religion either.
2: And Terry, that's true for every religion. I don't think extremists have a religion. Extremists are there in Judaism, in Christianity, in Buddhism, in Islam. These are people who have extremist tendencies. It's not the religion that makes them extremist. I don't divide people as Christian, Jewish, and Muslim. I think they're good people and they're bad people. And they're good people in every faith and they're bad people in every faith.
0: When you said you uh, wanted to go and tell what the Muslim faith was and renew your faith, and to, and then you felt it was your responsibility to go talk to children about what the Muslim faith was. What did you say the teachings were? What were some of the main points you said?
2: Well, Islam, basically, in essence, the word Islam means peace, and it's a religion of peace and a religion of love. That's how I learned it. That's how I practice it. And anything good that I do, it comes to me from my faith. Anything, All my contributions to my society, to humanity are because of my faith because it inspires me to be a better person every single day. And I thought that is what needs to be communicated out. The positive contribution of Islam and Muslims, the message of hope, growth and opportunity and peace and non-violence that it gives out, which is unfortunately um, not given a lot of uh, limelight or voice nowadays. And Islam is not a religion that started on 9-11. It's a 1,439 years old religion. And Muslims, Christians, Jews, they used to live in peace and harmony with each other. Muslims have created amazing civilizations and art and science and history and it seems to me nowadays that all that is forgotten just because of the actions of a few or whatever the geopolitical conditions are. So I thought it's really important that people look at Islam in its entirety as a religion, as sister religion of Judaism and Christianity and that's um, what I thought. And also I think it's important that we see each other as humans and connect each other at human level. So that is another thing we do through Interfaith Center as well that, you know, uh, let's look at the common human element in each other. Love that neighbor.
0: Your husband's taking a job in Little Rock, Arkansas. He's working at the University of Arkansas Medical Sciences. Kaim Saeed, and you moved here in 2007. He graduated in 2007, gave the valedictorian speech Come home," he says. "All right, honey, that's over. We're moving to Little Rock, Arkansas." You said, "Let me get the map out. Where is that?" Exactly. <laughs> I
2: did know that this is the Clinton state.
0: Yeah, and so you move here. Yeah, and uh, how to tell us a little bit about that?
2: So I actually wanted to pursue my PhD after my bachelor's, and um, it was initially it was a bummer for me that oh we're moving to Little Rock and there is not a place where I can do my PhD. But did y'all hear?
0: She said, "Bummer."
2: Okay,
0: I just want you to know that. Okay, go ahead. So, She's very American. All right, But then
2: when I did my research on Little Rock, I found Clinton School of Public Service, which is essentially um, going to teach me the same things, or at least the work I'll do after that would be same. So I was actually pretty excited that we will see American South. Um, I had traveled a lot in America. I traveled from coast to coast and border to border. I've seen... Uh, not all, but more than 35 states, So I've, but not the South part. So I was really excited to be in American South. And then Clinton School of uh, Public Service gave me an opportunity to do something uh, uh, different than PhD, but with similar outcomes. So I was very excited. I came here, I pursued my master's, both my children were in middle and high school. And um, I worked with some local organizations as an economist, but started more and more focus on interfaith work because my children were growing and I thought there is a need to teach people interfaith cooperate the skills of interfaith cooperation. I'm sure it helped them cope at school. Well, I hope so. That's how I started my work, but I hope so. Uh, one day my son um, came home and uh, at dinner table we would share stories of uh, what happened at the school. So... My daughter, who's younger than my son and uh, who's spunkier than my son, uh, she told me that, uh, Mom, um, Askiya's friend called him a terrorist again today. And I asked my son, what did you do about it, honey? And he was like, no, Mom, nothing. You know, people don't know, and it happens every other day. No big deal about it. And we were sitting at our dinner table, and it really struck me that, you know, I'm doing so much interfaith work and look at my child. He does not know how to respond to somebody who's calling him an extremist. And the kid is born and raised in America. He does not even know what an extremist is. So I asked him that, you know, you should have responded with You know that this is not what Muslims are. And my daughter said, Mom, don't worry. I took care of it. And I said, really, how did you take care of it? <laughs> And she said, you know, the child who called Askiya a terrorist, he was a Hindu. I said, okay. So I said, if you think our God is mean and tell us to go and kill people, your God is so cheap, you can buy it off a uh, retail store shelf. So I caught right back at him. If my God is mean, his God is cheap. And I was looking at my two beloved children that one of them does not know how to respond to a bully who's calling him an extremist and the other one is actually turning into a bully (laughs) so both of them lack the communication skills that they needed to talk about faith so that's how actually some of my work started i thought it's really important that we teach our young children and teenagers how to talk about faith And how can we do that if they'd never talk about faith to each other so i started this program which is called multi-faith youth group of arkansas back in 2011 and it's a group of teenagers high schoolers who are from christian jewish muslim buddhist faiths and no faith and they come together twice a month they have interfaith dialogue with each other they talk about world issues, they talk about extremism and terrorism, they talk about gun violence, they talk about tolerance and love and patience, and they do service projects together. So they start the group in ninth grade, they graduate in 12th grade, it's been going on for years now. We have graduated uh, several high schoolers who have gone to different amazing universities, but the key thing is we are creating the leaders of the future who know how to communicate with diversity, deal with diversity, how to respect each other's differences and live in a positive, healthy, inclusive community.
0: Thank you, that's wonderful. Uh, How do people get involved in that? How do they learn about it?
2: So if we go to theinterfaithcenter.org, that's our website, theinterfaithcenter.org, all of our programming will be there multi faith youth group is one of the programs actually the first program
0: what was the name of the website again interfaith
2: the the I- interfaith dot org. the interfaithcenter.org
0: we'll have that uh, link at uh, FlagandBanner.com's website, too. Uh, you're listening to Up in Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I'm speaking today with Miss Sophia Saeed, a worldly woman. She has a BA in economics. She is a graduate of the Clinton Public School of Service. She is a Pakistani. She is an American citizen. She is a practicing Muslim and is the current executive director at the Interfaith Center located at St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. In 2015, she was the Arkansas Humanitarian of the Year. And after this interview, or during this interview, I can definitely see why. Also, you can send me an email if you want to, and I can hook you up with her. But we did give the name of the uh, of her website, theinterfaithcenter.org. If mm-hmm. you want to get involved or learn more about her, the good work she's doing, uh, let's do talk about uh, what it is the director, the executive director of the Interfaith Center, is doing. We are uh, you've got camps for children, which we've already talked about in the last segment, which almost made me cry because I just thought that is the nicest thing. And I just absolutely love kids. And the idea of them getting together just floats my boat. And we've talked a little bit about the similarities of religions. And you like to say that you're building bridges of peace. I I read this quote where you said you're you're building bridges of peace and harmony through promoting a peaceful dialogue. So the Interfaith Center has something coming up called Love Thy Neighbor. What is that?
2: Love Thy Neighbor is an interfaith prayer service that we started eight years ago on the anniversary of 9-11. Because me, as a Muslim, I've always felt on 9-11 that there's, a, there's tension in the year. For everybody. The Muslim community is... Literally, I'm not expecting scared to go out because anybody can say anything to them. People are scared of Muslims that day and Muslims are scared of the larger community. And that needs to change. So um, eight years ago, we decided that on this day, instead of people being scared of each other and not interacting with each other, let's do something in which we can bring people of different faiths together under one roof and we can pray together and we can sing together, and we can eat together, and we can get to know each other and build relationships.
0: I love that. Praying, singing, eating. I think we've got a phone call. Uh, You're on the air, Madison. This is up in your business with Carrie McCoy. Have you got a question for my guest? I do. I want to know what the tenet is of Islam that requires the head being covered, and why and what age does that start?
2: So um, it's not a tenence; it's a dress code um, that in Islam we say is that girls or women once post-puberty, they should dress modestly, and it's interpreted differently by different women. So some women cover themselves completely, like you will see their hands and feet and face covered as well. Only you can see their eyes. Other women like me, they would only cover the body except for hands feet or face. Or there are women like my daughter who wouldn't even cover their hair. But the thing is that God asks us to cover our beauty and dress modestly so women can be respected for who they are intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, and not for their physical or outwardly beauty.
0: Nice answer. Thank you for your call. Thank you for your call. Uh, and you are it's not required, because you said
2: you didn't wear yours. So. so it's something that God asks us to do. But it's a choice. It's always a choice. In Islam, there is no compulsion. In fact, it says in the Holy Book, there is no compulsion in religion. So God asks you to do certain things, and whether you do them or not, you have a choice. You're a free will human being. So I never used to cover myself like I told you pre-9-11, but after that... I became more spiritual, and I wanted to submit and experience that what it feels like to be a woman who is respected for what and how she thinks. And I wanted to divert this attention that I get from people because of how I'm dressed up or how beautiful I look. I
0: believe that that is a common uh, desire of women in America, or all women, is that they want to be respected in the boardroom for their minds, but I'm not sure that American women dress that way. I've never thought about the reason Muslim women dress like that. And it makes pretty good sense if you're wanting to be respected for your mind, then you make that the focal point. So your love thy neighbor celebration of peace, food, singing, prayer, is there dancing?
2: Um, As of now, we haven't practiced dancing in the prayer service, but this is our eighth year. And it's uh, intergenerational service of music wisdom and prayers. And this year we have uh, two very, very special guests coming. One of our guests is Dr. Barnwell, who used to be the uh, singer and composer in a band called uh, Sweet Honey in the Rock. And she did that for years before retiring to lead these vocal community workshops. She lives in Washington, D.C., and she's flying in for this program. And she will be doing a sing along during the interfaith prayer service. So that's one special guest. And then we have another very special guest coming whose name is uh, Muhammad Ninoui, Sheikh Dr. Muhammad Ninoui, who is uh, my teacher and a world-renowned Islamic scholar from Syria who is founder of several Islamic centers and mosques around the world. And he will be coming and he will be talking about Islam and spirituality. And these two are among of the several different attractions that will be there that night, like River City Men's Choir will be singing, and we'll have a wonderful, tasty meal after the prayer service in which the dishes will be cooked by different congregations around the town. So you will eat from different faiths. What time does this start? It's September the 5th. It's Thursday, September the 5th. The service start will, will start sharp at six. It will finish by seven, and then we have the meal from seven to eight.
0: And the performances and the speeches are during the meal, or does it go through the weekend?
2: No, no, Every, it's a one hour long service.
0: All those people are gonna talk during the service? Yes,
2: it's um, very short talks. The service is from six to seven, in which we will have River City Men's Choir, Dr. Muhammad Ninouvi, Dr. Isai, Barnwell, everything happens in one hour. It's a very short and sweet prayer service. So I encourage you all to attend because even if you have young children, everybody can sit for 50 to 55 minutes and then it's food and fellowship. But you, there's not
0: any um, babysitting
2: provided, is there? There is no babysitting, but it's, like I said, very intergenerational service. So children are more than welcome to be there. You will see a lot of children in the audience, actually.
0: Do you think it sounds like
2: it's going to be a sellout? It normally is. It's room full. And we have our own um, Interfaith Center does a lot of programming for children. So they all uh, show up, too. So, yes. And it's
0: at St. Margaret's. uh, No, St. Mark's.
2: It's at St. Mark's Episcopal Church on Mississippi Avenue. So
0: even though the Interfaith um, Center is at St. Margaret's in West Little Rock, Arkansas, this will be at St. Mark's.
2: Interfaith Center is a ministry of St. Margaret's, but after hosting the service there for the first three years, the service grew much larger than the size of the sanctuary at St. Margaret's. So we moved to a bigger room at St. Mark's, and we are very happy that they give us the space and host us there every year.
0: And do you go to the interfaith, interfaithcenter.org
2: to buy tickets? You don't have to buy tickets, but it's. we would like you to register for the event. So you go to theinterfaithcenter.org to register, or you can just show up. It's a free service. Everybody is welcome to the service and to the meal. There is no charge. We just want you to come with an open attitude and get ready to be with people who are different from you.
0: Uh, wonderful, wonderful work. You are listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy. I'm speaking today with Ms. Sophia Sayed, a woman, a uh, worldly woman, and the uh, executive director of the Interfaith Center located at St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, who is working to reduce fear and hatred among the world religions. You were named the Peacemaker of the Year by the Arkansas Coalition of Peace and Justice. Was there one specific thing that they chose you for that? Was it your work with the children? Was it your
2: work with putting together the Interfaith Center? How did the Interfaith Center come about? So Interfaith Center is a ministry of St. Margaret's Episcopal Church, which was founded by um, Reverend Susan Sims Smith and uh, Reverend Chris Keller. I was independently working in the city creating interfaith programming like the multi-faith youth group I talked to you about because I thought that it's my passion, it's my calling. As an American Muslim, I must contribute to the community. And um, when uh, Reverend Susan Sim smith heard about my work from others and when the word spread, um, she reached out to me. She asked me to join her at Interfaith Center. And um, I was very happy to do that because there is no It was the same mission. Mm -hmm. So I joined Interfaith Center back in 2012 when it was just starting.
0: And uh, like you said, you always hold your uh, festival each year around 9-11 because it's a fearful time for Muslims. But it's not just Muslims that come to your festival. Do you call it a festival? It's an interfaith prayer service. You call it a prayer service. I have been to it once years ago, and you had speakers from
2: several religions that year. Who are your participatory religions? So Interfaith Center has participation from Jews, Christians, Muslims, Buddhist, Baha'i, um, people who we call uh, spiritual seekers who do not adhere to any one religion, Hindus, of course, atheists, agnostics. So we welcome everybody and all these religions and leaders from these religions have been a part of our work.
0: And you named it Love Thy Neighbor
2: because? Because I think that's one common golden rule, common to all the different world religions. Every religion teaches you to love your neighbor.
0: That's a wonderful mission for you to have. Uh, I have a gift for you today. Here it is. It's a desk set. That is the U.S. flag where you're living. That is the Pakistani flag.
2: Look, she oh wow! Look. Thank you. That's and Utah. <laughs> That's Utah. That's
0: Arkansas. Oh, thank you so much. That is so neat. So, um, so neat. What do you want your legacy to be? What is the future going to hold for Sophia?
2: Well, honestly, I don't know because I do not plan my future, but I definitely do want to see. I live in a country which is a country. It's a dream country for people to come to, especially who have passions, who want self-actualization in life, people like me. And they come here because it's a country where dreams come true. But you can actually rely on your own hard work and be something because the barriers are minimum. And I have been able to do that. And I want to make sure that uh, these opportunities are available to the next generations of Americans, immigrants and non-immigrants alike. So I do want to my dream is that whatever we can do to protect the legacy of the american dream to protect the values and um, the freedoms that this nation offers to its citizens and we can only do that if we learn how to live with each other how to interact with each other how to communicate with each other we cannot build walls among each other we need to learn interfaith cooperation to create inclusive communities so because I have enjoyed so much from this nation i have this nation has given me so much. I want to make sure that the child who lands on the shores of America from Syria he or she has the same opportunities that you had and your grandfathers had, and that I have, and my children have. so I think we we all have a responsibility to keep America's values intact as a nation of immigrants as the most diverse nation in the world you fear for do you fear for us
0: or or are you optimistic
2: i'm very optimistic of course you are that's the way you are
0: sophia thanks for joining me and my listeners this has been a great interview i have enjoyed meeting you and talking with you so much um bray who's our guest next week
1: guest next week is mr hank kelly
0: Mr. Hank Kelly is a resident of Little Rock, Arkansas. He was recently elected president of the Rotary Club 99 in downtown. And he is also the president of Flake & Kelly Commercial Real Estates, another successful business that I don't know if he found. I guess he found it. It's got his name in it. (laughs) So I just wanted to thank you again, Sophia. I have really, really enjoyed meeting with you. Thanks. Good luck with everything you're doing.
2: Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure.
0: I hope to see you September the 5th at St. Mark's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. For those listeners who might have a great entrepreneurial story they'd like to share, send a brief bio and your contact info to me, Carrie, at flagandbanner.com, and someone will be in touch. And to all, thank you for spending time with us. We hope you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening. And if you haven't, you haven't been listening. And that whatever it is will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on Up in Your Business. Until then, be brave and keep it up.
1: You've been listening to Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy. For links to resources you heard discussed on today's show, go to flagandbanner.com, select radio show, and choose today's guest. All interviews are recorded and posted the following week. Subscribe to podcasts wherever you like to listen. Carrie's goal is simple to help you live the American dream.